a little bit different this morning, amen? Vacation Bible School. All of us have fond memories of Vacation Bible School. Um, for some of you, it's the crafts. Um, in my basement, um, at my house, I have a blue shoebox that I made when I was in Vacation Bible School. It speaks of my talent as a wood carver and carpenter. But it is a constant reminder to me of God's love and God's grace through God's church and the ministry that he's given. Now, may I invite you to come to Vacation Bible School uh, this week, beginning tonight. Uh, walk the hallways, get involved, get to see the children. One of the greatest evangelistic events we have uh, in all of our churches is Vacation Bible School. A wonderful time. I'll be bringing one of my grandchildren tonight, and I look forward to listening to him as he shares with me about what he learns. I've just come back from the Southern Baptist Convention. I thank you for the privilege of going as your messenger. One of the things that was repeated over and over again is the priority that we have, and the priority we have is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22 through 36. Acts 2, 22 through 36. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible provided in the pew. Please take that. If you don't have a Bible at home, that is your Bible. But we want to talk about the priority of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to talk about Jesus, our Messiah. And we want to begin with the first sermon of Peter. Now, we've talked about this many times before. Uh, what is the number one fear, even over death, of most people? The major fear, even over death, for most people, speaking in public. And think about for a moment what it would be like not just to speak in public unprepared to a crowd of five to 10,000 people who just seven weeks before killed your master, your Lord, put him to death publicly. Same people in the crowd who called for him to be crucified are the ones that Peter is going to preach to right now. I think that'd be a terrifying experience. But it wasn't for Peter because the power of God had filled his life. Now, as we move into 2019, do we want that power not just in Parkway Baptist, but in our personal lives? Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22 through 36, would you stand in honor of God's word? The Sermon of Peter, beginning with verse 22. Men of Israel, hear the word Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested of God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourself also know, him being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. Now think about that. 
Five to 10,000 people that seven weeks before have just called for the death of Jesus. And now Peter stands before them, the one who had betrayed him, and the people around knew that, and this is what he said. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the the Lord also before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoices and my tongue will be glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men, brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise up Christ to sit upon his throne. And he foresaw this. Spoken concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which you are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Please be seated. Here's Paul. Standing before us, preaching a message. What is the theme of his message? Go to verse 22. What is he going to talk about to these five to 10,000 people? What are we going to talk to the children in Vacation Bible School about? What are we going to share with them? What every Sunday should you hear from this pulpit? No matter where I am, no matter what I'm preaching, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, dear friends, What I need to preach to you is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can share with you a great historical story, but I need to tell you about the gospel because the gospel is the living hope. It is the thing that keeps us in the midst of the work that God has called us to. And so what does Peter say? Well, look at verse 22. See what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, why did he say that? Because they knew who he was. They knew where he came from. This is not an unknown figure. This is not someone that came in from the shadows. All those five to 10,000 had heard about Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to of God, to you by miracles, wonders, and sign which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. The first thing he shares with them is this. Jesus is Messiah. Why did he take that topic? Because it was a Jewish audience. Because he wanted them to know that the Messiah that they were looking for had come in Jesus Christ. And he wanted them to be confirmed about that. And so now he's going to give them four truths that will leave undeniably that Jesus is Messiah. 
The first truth is this. Jesus, our Messiah, is approved by God. Many have claimed to be Messiah. Many have said that they have, but Jesus Christ is the only one that had the credentials. A man attested to by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. You see that? What Paul is saying to them is this. You know it's true. The word attested means that which is proven, that which is accredited, that which is appointed. What he was saying to them is this. God has appointed Jesus Christ, much like a president would appoint a secretary of state or a secretary of defense. God has appointed him, and it's attested to you. It's exhibited to you. It's given to you. You know that God has done this. God himself commanded Jesus to be his Messiah, and God approved him. How did God approve him? Well, sweet friend, if you go back into the description, you go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Now, Peter is speaking to a hostile audience. He's speaking to an audience that many in the audience had cried for Jesus Christ to be crucified. And he's proving a point. He's saying to them, Jesus is our Messiah. And he begins by talking about God. God has approved him. Whether you have approved him or whether you accept him or whether you will follow him, God has approved him. And dear brother and sister, what does that mean to me? You can walk away from this place today and say, I do not believe in Jesus Christ, but let me tell you one thing. God does. And you stand against God. You stand against his will. How do I know that? Well, again, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, listen to what God had to say. And suddenly there was a voice that came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can that be any more intimate? Can that be any more affirming? Can, can God say anything else that would say to us that this one is your Messiah? I've chosen him. I approved of him. In Matthew 17, 5, later in the chapter, the scripture says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Dear friends, God was never, never once displeased with Jesus, with his attitudes, with his actions. This is my boy. This is my boy of love in whom I am well pleased. What that said to his Jewish audience was this. This is of God. God has brought this about. And how did God confirm it? Attested to that word. How did God exhibit it? Well, look at verse 22 again. By what? Miracles, wonders, and signs. You see, when God sent his only begotten son, he sent him with a power and a grace and a strength. The confirmation that God has given is these supernatural acts that Jesus could only do. It proved that God had sanctified Jesus, confirmed him, that Jesus had the seal of approval. <laughs> Not only God, but men recognize that. See, there was an old boy by the name of Nicodemus. An old boy that was part of the religious establishment who was seeking God with all of his heart. And he not only heard, but he saw the signs, the wonders, the miracles that Jesus did. And he came to Jesus. And you know what he said? In John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Rabbi, 
We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no one can do these miracles that thou hast done except God be with him. Now, friend, let me tell you something. We get comfortable with the gospel. We, we, we think the gospel is, is just for us. And, and, and if we just keep the gospel, that's enough. But dear friends, what the scripture says is this. The signs, the wonders, the miracles that God performs are to be an evidence to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. I heard a missionary as I was at the Southern Baptist Convention, and what he shared as he shared with us that he was in a Southeast Asia country. He, his best friend was a Muslim uh, youth worker, and, and they would spend time, and he would share with him. And finally, this missionary had to come home, and they met together uh, uh, again, and they, they, uh, he prayed for him, and he, and he pled with him, Gerard, please come to Christ. And what he would say is, John, uh, you were born a Christian, I was born a Muslim, and that is fine. That's the way it's to be. Well, dear friends, not long after that, that missionary got a text. And he said, John, please help me. This is Gerard. I've had a dream. And the dream was a golden road up into heaven. And when I looked into heaven, I saw you there. And I was at the bottom still on earth. And John, you came down from heaven. And you put me on your back and you carried me up to heaven. And the text said, John, what does this mean? And now, sweet friends, understand something. Everyone here can attest to the miracles, the signs of God. Everyone can attest that God has worked in our lives. And that is the evidence of God's approval on his Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you want to know who stands for Jesus, if you want to know who promotes Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, then begin first with God. You know how Peter ends that verse? Look at verse 22. How does he end that verse? This is a hostile crowd. Look at what he says. As you yourselves also know. You see, even the enemies of Jesus had to admit of his power and his grace and his love. And Peter drives the nail in and says, you have no excuse not to proclaim him as master of your life. Now, can I get down and dirty? You don't either. He is moved. Now, now, now just put that away. But, but Pastor, I've not gotten everything I wanted. Pastor, I have a physical condition. Pastor, I, I, we all do. Amen? But this God has approved of Jesus as Messiah and has shown his power and his grace. And we, Parkway Baptist Church, members, visitors, are witnesses to what God has done in our life. That's what God has done. Jesus was affirmed by God, too. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, He being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Not only has God approved 
of Jesus Christ as Messiah, but Jesus our Messiah was ordained to die. Peter in the verse realizes the objections that will come. The Muslims will say, how in the world can Jesus be the son of God? God would never have a son and God would never let him die. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus could have used his power and come off the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. The death of Jesus Christ is no accident. In the Old Testament, the Lord told us about the death of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 10. Here's God's voice again. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Dear friends, Jesus did not die because evil men took him. He gave his life. It is no accident. It is no horrible miscalculation of God. It is not plan A going astray and God having to find another plan. From the very beginning, God established that sin cannot be undone. It can only be forgiven and it can only be righted by blood. If you're a guest here, please understand, this church is a people of blood. Our salvation rests upon the death of one man whose blood covers us and makes us righteous in his presence. We're a nitty-gritty faith, and we're not fashionable. Had people in my house, they're doing renovation, and we began a conversation, and one man said, Pastor, what are you? I'm a Baptist. Well, what is a Baptist? I said, a Baptist is contrary to everything, all right? That's our roots. You see, sweet friend, back to our beginning, we were willing to die over baptism. We were living willing to give up our livelihood, our homes, our families, because we put our faith in God in the Messiah Jesus, and in his word. That's who we are. Jesus didn't die by accident. Things didn't go terribly awry. Why did Jesus die? Because sin required a sacrifice, and the only true sacrifice was Jesus. God's predetermined plan was to send Jesus to death. Look at verse 23, the sermon that Peter preached to the Jews, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was determined beforehand in eternity, fixed with a deliberate will, a decisive decision, a purposeful decree, Jesus was not executed against his will. He was following the plan of God. According to the prearranged plan that God had designed in order to save sinful mankind. And sweet friends, if God can turn the foul murder of his son to supreme benefit, What can he do with your problems, your trials, your disappointments?
Dear friends, we go around as if we're defeated. And please don't misunderstand me. I do not make light of the burdens of this world. I have gone through enough of them. But we ought to be the most joyous people in the world because our master took our sin upon himself and gave us salvation. Predetermined plan to God. Does that mean that you and I aren't responsible? Look at what Paul says, or look at what Peter says. You nailed him to the cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. God used evil men to accomplish his purpose. (laughs) Dear friends, you worried to death about 2020 and the election? God's in control. And God will work his purpose. And let me share with you again, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't ride on the back of donkeys or elephants. He is glorious and he is Lord. And he will work all things together. Peter did not hesitate to call that great crowd murderers. You fastened God's son to the tree. Evidently, Peter didn't have a very good PR man, right? You murdered the Messiah. You slayed the son of the living God. There's no greater guilt. But it was God's ordained plan. That's why he's Messiah. He's approved of God. That's why he's Messiah. He's ordained unto death by the plan of God. That's why he's Messiah. And look at verse 24. The scripture says this, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because he was not possible that he should be held by it. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, was not abandoned in death by God. Jesus did not rescue him. Does that mean that God turned his back and abandoned him? No. Peter says this to them, whom God raised up. Sweet friend, this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. This is what God does. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central tenet in all of Christian faith. Without it, there is no Christianity. He rose from the dead and is alive now. If you deny that, you deny everything. Hear that again. Please, brothers and sisters, one of the panels we had at the Southern Baptist Convention is the panel about the lost that are in our churches. The people that walked the aisle when they were four, five, six, and seven, but they did it as a rite of passage. They've never made Jesus Lord. They've never asked Christ to forgive them their sin, and they have never yielded the right of their life to Jesus. They're lost. And they're in our churches and every church to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, maybe he rose, maybe he didn't. He was such a good teacher. That's kind of a hard thing to believe. No, if you deny that, you deny it all. The greatest truth is Jesus is Messiah, not because of his teaching, not because of his miracles, not because of his death but his resurrection. That's the power. God foretold Jesus' resurrection in the Old Testament. In Psalm 
16, 8, the scripture says, I have set the Lord always, it's in this passage before you, because he is at the right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in the hope. You will not leave my soul in Sheol. There it is. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You see, the Lord God didn't abandon him. The Lord God raised Jesus from the dead, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death. Why is that important? Because Jesus had to raise him. He's going to be Messiah. We don't have a dead Messiah. Every other religion has their dead leaders. Ours is not dead. That's why he's Messiah. Why did death not have a hold on Jesus? Remember a familiar passage of Scripture? Maybe we all can say it. Romans 6.23. For the wages... Very good. Very good. Why do you think death couldn't hold him? It's in that passage. The wages of sin is what? Death. Did Jesus ever sin? How many of you can claim that? Death holds you, except for the resurrection of Jesus. The Lord God gave us a gift. He gave us a sinless man. He gave us one that was qualified to break the bonds of sin and death in our lives. And that's why he's Messiah. Uh, Anybody here ever tried to lose weight? I'm wearing a suit today because I've lost 15 pounds. Uh, Can I tell you something? Starvation is not fun. But I don't have to work for my salvation. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to have the approval of men. Because I was given a gift that I did not deserve, I did not earn. Through a sinless man who God predetermined to die for me. And what did God do finally to proclaim Jesus Messiah? Jesus our Messiah is exalted. Not God not only raised him from the dead, but God raised him to authority and power. Sweet friends, what did we do? God exalted him. That's what the scripture says, 33 through 36. You and I brought him low. In John 19, 1 through 3, this is what we did. So then Pilate took Jesus, scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. One of our members has just come back from a tour in Israel. I asked them if they had gone to Anthony's fortress. 
For in the basement of Anthony's fortress in the old city of Jerusalem were the stones that were there at the time of Jesus. It was the fortress of the Roman legion. And in that basement, on those stones, they would take the prisoners and delight to torture them. And that's where Jesus was. Sweet friends, Peter says, that's what you did to his Jewish brothers and sisters who listened to him. And what I say to my brothers and sisters of Parkway, that's what you did. What did God do? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? That means your rebellious son who does not believe in Jesus at one day will bow his knee to Jesus. That means that boss who's the worst boss in the world, phallus in the world, sexually makes into an, that boss will bow his knee to Jesus. Anybody have cancer? Anybody have rheumatoid arthritis? It will bow its knee to Jesus. And those under the earth and those with every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man brought him low, God exalted him. Man sought to humiliate him. What does it mean to be Messiah? The scripture says in Luke 23, 11, then Herod with his men of war treated him, Jesus, with contempt, mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. You see, in the world you and I still live in, we still humiliate Jesus. We still call his name in cursing. We still will not obey and follow him. All the religious leaders of the world, no one would dare to use their name in a curse word, but they will use Jesus. Because of what sin has done to our life. We humiliate him. But God glorified him. John 12, 23 says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man shall be glorified. God has lifted him up. Man crucified him. Dear friends, take it seriously. This religion. This faith. And I, and I know we live in the age where people move from church to church and, and they find this and that. If they don't get what they want, they go to place this, that, and the other. But sweet friend, your faith, your Christianity caused Jesus to be crucified upon a tree. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you called king of the Jews. So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? And they cried out the louder, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. To be your Messiah, God gave him over into your hands and you crucified him but God has crowned him Hebrews 12, 2 9 says but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for suffering for the death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for you see that 
you see, Christianity is just an ethnic religion. It's just for certain groups of people. It, 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 it's just for those that are prosperous and, and those that can come to church in their fine cars. It, it, but it's not for the nitty-gritty. Listen to the International Mission Board report about what's taking place in Southeast Asia. Oh, oh dear friends. Listening to the International Mission Board to tell us what is taking place in Nepal. Where missionaries and those of faith in Nepal have gone into that nation of mountains and shared the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus is overcoming that country. That's the power. That's the crowning. That's what God can do. And if God can do it there, he can do it here. Men entombed him. We put him away. He's not relevant anymore. And it's just an old text and old religion and old faith. That's fine, but I'll live my life the way I want to live it now. Mark 15, 46, then they brought the fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in linen, and they laid him in the tomb which has been hewed out of the rock, and they rolled a stone against the door. And then the Pharisees came to Pilate and said, remember what he said that he would raise in three days, and if he does, that's worse than anything else that's gone on. And so Pilate said, you get the guards, put, them, put the Roman seal upon it, and that's what they did. All the power of man to keep him in. But you can't. You see, I'm getting to be an old man. And when I was a young man, I heard in the 60s that again, God is dead and, and that old religion's going to pass away. And people will no longer follow Jesus Christ. And that's a lie. We as a faith are stronger today than we've ever been. We have more that bow the knee to Jesus Christ than have ever been seen before. Why? Matthew 19, 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say unto you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you who have followed me shall also sit on the twelve thrones. There's coming a day when the Messiah is coming back again. There's coming a day when he's going to bring with him all that we love. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to set upon his throne. Are you going to be there? Are you? Dear friends, let me say it again. You'll put this on my tombstone. It's not a religion. It's not a relationship. It's not a social club. It's not a place where your needs can be met. That's fine. It is a relationship. And sweet friend, if you do not have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, you're none of him. Now don't misquote me. And don't go from this place saying, preacher said I had to be perfect. That's a lie. But he must be your Lord. He'll take nothing less. Why? Because he's Messiah. 
Men executed him. They put him to death. Matthew 20, 19 says, They delivered him to Gentiles to be mocked, scourged, crucified, and the third day he would rise again. But God exalted him. And every creature, Revelation 5, 13 through 14, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sets upon the throne, hear it now, and the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever. It was vacation Bible school. And the teacher wanted to ask the questions to the students uh, and see if they understood. Uh, Why did Jesus raise from the dead? Why did Jesus raise from the dead? And one little boy, Billy, raised his hand and said, Teacher, because if he wouldn't have, it wouldn't be much of a story. That's it. Because if he wouldn't have, it wouldn't be much of a story. Is it much to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for these moments. I thank you, Lord, for the Holy Scripture. Oh, Lord, how I thank you for it. I thank you, Lord, for preparing our hearts for the music and getting us ready to hear about our Messiah. But, Lord, I thank you so much for one ordinary man, Peter, who stood against those that took the life of Jesus and spoke the truth into their life of the Messiah. And the end result, Lord, were 3,000 that day came to Christ. 3,000 bent the knee to the one they asked to die and made him Lord of their life. And that's what I pray for Parkway. That's what I pray for people here. Not that we just go ahead with our tradition and the things we want to do, but truly we bend the knee to Jesus and make him Lord in every, every Now, Lord, that that begins with tearing down our own thrones. That begins with replacing ourselves and putting Jesus in the heart of everything we do and we are. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I pray for that one that struggles today. I pray for that one that wants to do that, but things hold them back. I pray that you would release them. Lord, break the bonds, as Peter says, and give them freedom. I pray for that Christian brother and sister that's crying out and saying, Lord, how? Lord, like to Peter, who stepped up in front of that crowd, that individual, let them hear your voice and give them direction. And for that one, Lord, that thinks they can never be forgiven, they can never be made righteous, Lord, let this morning be a proclamation that the Messiah can make them pure and welcome them into heaven. Lord, let me so. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I ask it. Amen.
Dear brothers and sisters, uh, I told you a little bit about Baptists, but another thing about Baptists is this. We believe that you should put your feet to what you say. And so what we're asking right now is an invitation, an invitation not to come to me or join the church, though that is fine. But we're asking you to come to Jesus. We're asking you to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you your sin, to become the Lord of your life. Now, I know that's a struggle, but sweet friend, if he has the power through the approval of God to do what he did as Messiah, he's going to sustain you. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never walk away from you. He'll never leave you alone. Would you surrender today and come to him? Christian brother and sister, how are you spending your life? Is it an evidence of the Messiahship of Jesus? Do people around you see you moving in such a way that they acknowledge Christ in your life and they follow Jesus because of the witness that you have? Who is the one? In, in the weeks to come, I'm going to be presenting to you a plan of evangelism. And the plan of evangelism is about picking someone out to pray for, picking someone out through life's journey to witness to, someone you know, someone you can pray for every day. You're one for Jesus. Who is that one? Or God has called you to become part of the church to be baptized by immersion believers baptism. Whatever God is calling you to do, please this morning, do it. Let's stand.